Thank you for joining us on Drawing Near. Today, we will have our Chapter 4 review of Ephesians. It's hard for me to comprehend, but we've already studied through all 32 verses. And so today we will review. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are blessed to be able to have studied four chapters of this magnificent letter. I thank you for my part in it because these words have spoken so much and so deeply to me. I pray that your word is spoken in such a rich way to those who have been studying with us. Continue to open our eyes, strengthen our memories, that we may retain the knowledge that you desire for us to have. We thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the heart of this chapter is essentially the idea that there is one body. It's the oneness, if you'll remember, oneness versus unity. There is the one body, the one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So it's this oneness that exists that makes us a body. Everything in God, everything in Christ is connected. It's a oneness. And I think that's a marvelous thing to consider, that the God of all creation wants us to be one with him, one with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we need to strive to be one. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1, he says that we are to live worthy or worthily of the calling to which we've been called. We're to live with all humility and gentleness. We're to be long-suffering or patient. We need to put up with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So it's not enough that we are simply saved by grace. Well, it is enough that we're saved by grace, but we need to understand that we need to live out that salvation. Our faith needs to be lived. We are called, urged by Paul, to live worthily of that calling with which we've been called. And so we see that worthy living is humble and gentle and patient, putting up with one another in love, keeping the unity, because we are one body, one spirit, etc. Well, in verse 7, we're told that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he breaks off in verse 8 and talks about Jesus ascending into heaven on high, and he led free the captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, I'm not going to go through that whole ascension and descended thing during this review. You can go back and look at that passage that covers verse 8. But the point of that quotation from Psalms is that he gave gifts to men. Jesus Christ gifts us so that we have an essential place and part in that body of Christ. And he himself gave to the church some people as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And he gave them gifts so that those individuals might be gifts to the church And their purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And there's that word, work. It's not a bad word. It's not something to be avoided at all costs. Work is a good and godly thing. And we need to nail that down in our hearts and minds. 
And so the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That work of ministry results in the building up of the body of Christ. As you do your part and I do my part, as I grow and you grow, the body of Christ is built up. You have an integral part in building the body of Christ up, and so do I. And we're to continue to do this work, you using your gifts, me using my gifts, us working together under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, being equipped by those leaders that the Lord has given to us. We need to continue doing this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The goal is that we all grow up in faith united together, and that we all reach a mature understanding of the knowledge of the Son of God together, so that I can be a mature person, but we as a body can be a complete mature person. We need to leave no one behind. And the goal is that we as a church, universal, local, that we as a believer all attain to the measure of Christ's full stature. The goal is to grow up in Christ, to be just like Jesus. He is the mirror. He is the image or reflection that we are striving to be exactly like. And so as we do that, verse 14 tells us, we are no longer children, tossed back and forth by waves, carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. We are mature, not childish. We are able to discern the truth from the lie. We're not easily deceived or tricked. We are discerning. And that is a good sign of spiritual maturity. When you can discern the right and the wrong. When you know what teacher is being led by the Spirit and what teacher is full of carnal worldly deceit. We need to no longer be children. We need to be mature in Christ Jesus to the full stature of Christ's fullness. Then verse 15 tells us that as we mature, we are practicing the truth in love. We grow up into all things in Christ Jesus, who is the head. So as we practice the word of God, the truth of God's word, in love, we grow. That effort, that striving to live out the truth in love results in growth. There's a stress involved. There's a difficulty involved. And as we strive, as we push, as we exercise those truths in our lives, we grow up into Christ. And then at the end of verse 15, who is the head of the body? The body does not belong to the pastor. The body doesn't belong to the deacons or the trustees. The body doesn't belong to the church membership. The body belongs to Christ. He is the head. It is our responsibility to know his desire for the church. And by and large, his desire for the church is revealed through the Holy Scriptures. The church needs to be biblical. It needs to be Christ-led. And it is from Christ, verse 16 says, that the whole body grows. It's fitted and held together by every supporting ligament. As each one of us do our part, the body builds itself up in love. You help keep the body together. I help keep the body together. If you're missing, we're missing a significant supporting part of the body. If I'm missing, we're missing a part. 
we need to all be present and together. We need to all be using our gifts for the benefit of one another together. And as you do your part and I do my part and someone else does their part, the body builds itself up in love. Then Paul insists in the Lord that we no longer live as the Gentiles do. After he has told us how to use our gifts and what we are to become, he tells us what we're to no longer be. We are to no longer live like we used to, as the Gentiles do, in the emptiness or the futility or the vanity of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. We are not to be darkened. We're to be in the light. We are not to be alienated from the life of God. We are to be one with God, one in the body. We're not to be ignorant of the truths and the teachings and the desires of God. Rather, we are to be living in the truth. So we don't live in the futility of our thinking. What we do is we live in the fullness of the truth of God's Word, being led by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, Because those Gentiles are callous, they've given themselves over to indecency for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Because they have hard hearts, they do not yield to the truth, but give themselves over to beastly living, to practice every indecency they can think of. Verse 20 says, But you did not learn Christ this way. As we were taught in him and as we heard of him, we did not learn Christ this way. And there are many people who profess a relationship with Christ, but they live like the Gentiles do, as Paul refers to it. There's a problem there. We're not to live in the futility of our thinking. We're to live in the truth of God's Word. We did not learn Christ that way. And if we did, we need to find another teacher. The truth, he says at the end of verse 21, is in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said, you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. Jesus is truth. The truth is in Jesus. And so if we are in Jesus, we need to be living by the truth that is in Jesus. We were taught regarding our former way of living to lay aside the old man and to put on the new. We are to lay aside the old man who is corrupt, who is living according to deceitful desires, verse 22, and we are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans chapter 12 Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Paul says here. And we are to put on, verse 24, the new man. The new man who has been created in God's image, in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. Rather than live giving ourselves over to the indecency of every kind of impurity, we are to put on the new man and live in the righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. That's a very high standard, but it's the standard that is held up to us. Verse 25 goes on and says, Therefore, having already laid aside falsehood, each one of us are to speak the truth with our neighbor. And we're to do this because we're members of one another. We shouldn't deceive ourselves. We shouldn't lie to ourselves. We shouldn't be hypocritical to ourselves. So we're to speak the truth with our neighbor. If we get angry with one another, we are not to sin. 
If we get angry, we're to deal with it quickly and not let the sun go down on the cause of our anger. We're to never give the devil an opportunity. Whenever anything threatening comes into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, we're to deal with it quickly, put it in its proper place, let the Holy Spirit guide us, let the truth of God's Word guide us, and not give the devil an opportunity. James tells us we are to resist the devil, and he will flee. We're to humble ourselves to the Lord, draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to us. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Verse 28 tells us that if you steal, you must steal no longer. Instead, you must work, doing good with your hands, so that you will have something to share with the one in need. Not only will you be able to provide for yourself, but the excess, rather than being given over to selfish indulgence and materialism, the excess is there that you might be able to give to someone who has legitimate need. We're not to let any unwholesome word come out of our mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need. We just dealt with this. We need to give grace through our speech to those who hear. We're not to allow our speech and our behavior grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see the contrast here? We are to not only not give the devil an opportunity, but we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. If you give the devil an opportunity, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. If you're not grieving the Holy Spirit, then you're keeping the devil from having opportunities to work in your life. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It is through the Holy Spirit that we have already been sealed for the day of redemption. And each one of us is to put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, slanderous talk, all malice, and rather be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. We have been forgiven, and the forgiveness that we have received covers sins so vast, so egregious, that no one could ever sin against us in the same manner we have sinned against God. We have been forgiven far more than we could ever have need to forgive someone else. And so since we have been pardoned from so great a debt, we must forgive others when they sin against us. Praise God for the forgiveness we have in Christ and follow the example of God by forgiving one another in compassion and kindness. You know, the Bible tells us that God knows that we are but dust. We need to treat one another with the understanding that our expectations aren't for their perfection, but rather they're but dust and they're going to fail, and we need to be compassionate and merciful and gracious. At the same time, we need to recognize that other individual is created in the image and likeness of God, and we owe honor to them because God has honored them with his likeness. This has been very quick. I tried to do it in an amount of time that was reasonable. You may need to go back and listen to it once or twice. It's amazing how many glorious and wonderful truths there are in chapter 4 and how they work so perfectly together. I thank the Lord for his word. Father, we thank you for Ephesians 4. We thank you for the deep truths, for the high calling we have in Christ to lay aside and to put on to be a part of the body, and to minister to one another, to watch our behavior, to live holy and righteous, to walk worthily, 
to treat one another the way we have been treated as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, to be gracious and compassionate and kind, to not tolerate sin, to deal with it in a Christ-like, loving, tender manner. Thank you for these truths. Again, help us to retain them. Prepare our hearts for chapter 5. That, too, is a marvelous chapter. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for studying with us today. You can subscribe to these podcasts on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or the Facebook page Drawing Near. Drawing Near is a ministry of FBC Tip City, provided with the hope that we will draw near to God and He will draw near to us.